Amen. Well, let's go to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Today, we are looking at James 4, verses 11 and 12, following what we have looked at the last couple of weeks in James chapter 4, dealing with unity in the church, dealing with anger, conflicts, quarrels. Where does it all come from? And James 4, 1 to 3 gave the answer to that. The the problem with all of our disputes and quarreling is, is within us. It's our own selfish desires that we want so badly. And then verses 4 to 10, as we saw last week, showed us how to have unity, how to maintain humility, how to maintain unity in the church. Today, James 4, 11 and 12 I must preach these verses that God has given. Oh, it would be so easy to skip this over. Trust me, I spent all week studying it. It would be easy to skip this over, but I can't. I have to preach on the Satan-like sin of slander. Follow with me as I read James 4, verses 11 and 12. James says, Do not speak against one another, brethren, He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge over it. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He is the one who is able to save and to destroy. But you... Who are you who judge your neighbor? The story is told of a man who visited a friend's farm. And he noticed when he was visiting the farm that some of the farmer's chickens were running around and missing a lot of feathers. I mean, a lot of feathers. And they didn't look very good. They even had sores and scabs on their sin. It was evident. It was obvious. It was noticeable. And the friend asked the farmer, your chickens over there, what's what's up with them? Why do they look like that? And the farmer said, oh, they like to peck at one another. And then the Christian said, huh. That's how many Christians treat one another. Peck, peck, peck. Finding fault here, criticizing there, complaining this time, and condemning that person, and arrogantly judging somebody here, and misrepresenting them there, and speaking against this man, and slandering that woman. Peck, peck, and peck. It's out there, isn't it? And it's hurtful. And it's even in the church. I mean, it's in the church. And the tragic name for what we're going to look at today, what God gives us in James 4, 11 and 12, is that sin of slander. One writer defined it like this. Slander is the spreading of false information about someone with the intent to harm him or her. And when slander is spoken, it always harms the other person's reputation, and it's 
sinning against the law, it bears false witness. <laughs> That's why one pastor said, we must remember as Christians, confess your own sins and faults, but not the faults of others. And as I was thinking about James 4 this week and praying through it and repenting of my own sin of this, what makes the sin of slander so satanic are the devastating declarations that slander slander really is. You say, what do you mean? When we slander, it's like saying this. I'm attacking another person. When we slander, second, it always, always comes from an arrogant heart. And when we slander, third, it is us attempting to play God. And then fourth, slander is assessing the motives of other people. Ouch. That's why slander is so hurtful. That's why slander is so dangerous. That's why slander is such a very Satan-like sin. And you and I as believers know this. And even those of us out yesterday at Mardi Gras, our God was slandered. He was slandered. Slander is not godly. Slander is never good. Slander never brings a good result. And tragically and shamefully and hurtfully, slander is everywhere. It's even in the churches. And that's why Pastor James is writing on it. That's why Pastor James, in this wonderful little book, is going to deal with the topic of slander. And and he's been dealing with quarrels, and he's been dealing with conflicts, and he's been dealing with anger. Where does it come from in verses 1 to 3? And then he said, here's how you grow and how you have unity in verses 4 to 10. And now he's going to give a very strong pastoral warning. Don't slander, brethren. Don't do it. In verses 11 and 12. Now, real quick, I have to pause and give a footnote. Because in verses 11 and 12, if you look in our Bibles, you have the word judge there. In the middle of verse 11, you see it there. It's also in verse 12, judge. And somebody might look at that and say, well, I must never judge anyone. Well, we have to clarify. James, here in this passage, is not saying that Christians should not make judgment calls and help people who have fallen into sin. He's not saying that you shouldn't judge. The Bible says in Matthew 7, you should and you must judge one another. You've got to do it rightly, Matthew 7, 1 to 5. And 1 Corinthians 5 makes it very clear that we must judge sin in the church. That's very important. That's why Jesus said in John 7, 24, that you must judge with right judgment. So judging is appropriate when biblically done. And the Bible gives a lot of protocols for that. But what James is dealing with 
is not that kind of good and necessary judging. James is dealing with judgmentalism. It's an arrogant, critical, prideful spirit that judges people's motives in order to run other people down. It's the condemning. It's the prideful. It's the slandering judging. That's what James is dealing with here in this context. And still, by way of introduction, let me just give you a couple of scriptures. Leviticus 19, verse 16, God says, you shall not slander. In Psalm 15, verse 3, when David is speaking of the worshiper who comes to honor and glorify God, the godly man does not slander with his tongue. Psalm 15, verse 3. Contrast to that, Psalm 50, verses 19 and 20, describes the wicked as those who slander one another. Jesus said in Matthew 15, verses 19 and 20, that slander comes out of an evil heart, and that is what defiles a person. It's not what comes into you from the outside. It's what comes out of you from the heart. And our evil words and slanders and blasphemies are such. That's why the Apostle Paul tells believers in Ephesians chapter 4, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away. Let it be put away from you. Now, turn with me, just keep your finger in, in James, but go back with me to Proverbs real quick. And I want to take you to a handful of Proverbs just so that we can see the, the sting of the sin of slander. Proverbs 16, verse 28. Solomon is writing and he says, a per- perverse man spreads strife And a slanderer separates intimate friends. What does slander do? It destroys friendships. According to Proverbs 11, verse 9, slander destroys people. Look at this. With his mouth, the godless man destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge, the righteous one will be delivered. Ouch. Through our wicked words, Proverbs 11 verse 9 says we destroy people. Uh, Later on in Proverbs 26 and in verse 20, we learn that slander stirs up contention and fights and quarrels. Proverbs 26, 20. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer or slanderer, contention quiets down. In Proverbs chapter 6, in the list of all the sins that God hates, one of them is slanderers, and they spread strife. Proverbs 6.19. And then in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 18, God is very clear. Proverbs 10.18, he who conceals hatred has lying lips, but whoever spreads slander is a fool. Slander is foolish. It's foolish. And you and I know in the Bible, we could go to story after story after story of people who slander and the devastating effects. Remember, at Jezebel's council, two worthless men slandered Naboth, and he died because of it in 
1 Kings 21. Remember the book of Ezra, chapter 4, the enemies of the Jews slandered the Jews to their Persian overlords. Even the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 6, actually quite a few times in Nehemiah they were slandered, but in Nehemiah 6, the exiles were slandered by their opponents. In Esther chapter 3, Haman slandered the Jews to King Ahasuerus, nearly brought the whole annihilation to the Jewish race. Praise God, he intervened. In Romans chapter 3, Paul was slandered. In Matthew 26, Jesus was slandered. Paul said this at the very end of 2 Corinthians in chapter 12. One of Paul's greatest fears is an unholy church. One of Paul's greatest fears was an unholy church, and one of the marks of an unholy church, according to 2 Corinthians 12, verse 20, is when there are slanders going on in the church. And let's just not forget, we have a great slanderer or a great accuser of our souls. We know him as Satan. We know him as the devil. And one of the names he goes by is slanderer in the book of Revelation. Now go back with me after all of this introduction, go back with me to James chapter four, back to our text, because I want to show you in verse 11 where it all begins. And it's this James four eleven: do not speak against one another, brethren. In the NASB, I have speak against. If you have the ESV, you have speak evil against. The NIV translates it slander, don't slander. The Holman Standard Bible says criticize, don't criticize one another. In the Greek language, this opening phrase has three interesting, unique characteristics in the Greek. Number one, it's urgent. It's urgent because it's an imperative command. Verse 11, don't speak. Second, it could also be translated stop, implying it's already going on in the church. And Pastor James is saying, stop it, stop it. And then third, in the original Greek, it's prominent. It's prominent because of the verbal form that James uses. It's like James is saying, church, you got to get this. You can't miss it. It's like the neon flashing arrow is pointing to this opening command. Don't speak evil against one another, brothers. Well, okay, James, we hear it. We see it. We get it. We understand it. What James is going to do is he's going to show us why slander is so sinful. And this is the outline that I want to give you for the rest of our time. Why is slander so dangerous? Why is it so sinful? For three reasons. Number one, because you hurt other people. Number two, because you violate God's law. Number three, because you usurp God's role. 
We're going to go through these one by one and just kind of follow James's argument as he leads the congregation of early believers in James 4, 11 and 12 on why slander is so sinful. Let's look at it together. Number one, it is so sinful for the first reason, you hurt other people. You know that. You've been there experientially. You know it hurts. You know it. In Exodus 23, 1, God says, don't spread false reports. God says, do not help a wicked person by being a malicious witness. Proverbs 6 tells us God hates slander because it hurts. It divides. It's Satan-like. Now, I'm going to give you a couple of Greek words. I usually don't do that, but you're going to know them. That's why I'm going to do it. The usual word for slander in the Greek New Testament is the word blasphemy. Blasphemy. Speaking evil of others, but slander is speaking evil of others, especially behind their back. It defames people. It destroys their reputation. So the common word in the New Testament is blasphemy for slander. There's another word that's often used in the New Testament. It's the word diabolos, devil, where we get devil from. It's speaking evil of other people, and it also is the term used for the accuser, the attacker, the slanderer of the brethren. Those are common words in the Greek New Testament, but those aren't the words used here. The word in James 4, verse 11, do not speak against one another, talks about defaming, criticizing, harming through verbal slanders. What is slander? It is the passionate goal to destroy another person by your words. It's always driven by pride, and that could take many forms. Bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, kinds of malice. And when James says, don't speak against one another, brethren, he is saying, this, this is evil. It's sinful. It's Satan-like. It divides. It demeans. It destroys. It hurts. I mean, slander is everywhere. It's everywhere. It's in politics. It's in the education. It's in homes. It's in relationships. It's in churches. It's everywhere in our world. And slander happens when someone says something untrue about another person that will result, either intentionally or unintentionally, in damaging someone's reputation. I came across an article and I was reading it and it was so convicting. So I'm going to share it with you, okay? It was really convicting. John Bloom goes further. He says, when we handle a person's name, we are stewarding a treasure that belongs to that person. So when you talk about people, when you talk about their name, their character, you have a stewardship that belongs to them. If you slander and damage a person's reputation unjustly, the author says, we are stealing their good name and we are vandalizing their character. Ouch. 
that causes pain, hurt, division, damage to reputation, and even others that are involved. You say, I know that. I've been there. I've received it. You have as well. This is why Satan loves. He loves slander. It is one of Satan's chief strategies to divide relationships. And it's one of his chief strategies to disrupt churches and to distract from the church's mission and gospel advancement. Now, you and I say, we could all say, I know slander is wrong. I get it. I understand it. I've seen the devastation effects of it. I know that. But nobody wants to be guilty of it. Slander can have many, many, many ways that it shows itself. Let me just give you a handful of of ways. We might call the first sensationalism. It's spinning what somebody said to sound evil. You take what somebody spoke, but you spin it in such a way so that it sounds evil. Another way that slander could take a form among us would be betraying confidence. It would be giving private information to somebody else with an evil spin. It's often done so that somebody else will join the brawl against that person or maybe even take sides. A third way that slander could show itself, third, is just by outright deceit. Putting words in someone's mouth that were never said. This is the more outward, straightforward lie. It's just a blatant, bearing false witness. Did you hear what they said? And then you say something that wasn't altogether true. You inserted words that weren't spoken. A fourth way that slander can show itself as we might call hearsay. We pass along slanderous information that seems almost like harmless gossip, and yet the effect has on our listeners to leave them with an unfairly negative perception of the person we're talking about. Can you believe that he or she did this? They spent money there. They went there. They're doing this. They're doing that. Did you hear? Or number five, another way that this could show itself is if with embellishment. We embellish with information or a tone or a negative report about someone in order to enhance our reputation with other people. We're painting them in a negative light deliberately so that they'll think better of us. And we're all capable of doing this. Churches, pastors, elders, businesses, ministries, husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, children. We all can do this. And what's so dangerous about slander and why it is hurtful is it's not so much a temptation from out there. It's a temptation that comes from right here, from within our own hearts. Why is slander so sinful and hurtful? Don't speak against one another, brethren. Why? Because you 
hurt other people. MacArthur says it like this, the effects of slander are always long-lived. Once lies about you have been circulated, it's extremely difficult to clear your name. It's a lot like trying to recover dandelion seeds after they've been blown to the wind and you're trying to recover all of it. So hard. So why does Pastor James speak to the believers? And he says in verse 11, don't speak against one another, brethren. Number one, because when we slander, you hurt other people. Number two, let me give you another one. In your outline, slander is so sinful because, number two, you violate God's law. Now, verse 11 continues. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. Now, we looked at this even just Wednesday night in our prayer meeting and study. Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. We are are called in the word of God to, to love the law, to cherish the law, not condemn it, not judge it, not criticize it, not stand in authority over it. James has talked a lot about this. Turn back a page to James 1 verse 25. Notice how James has written about the law. James 1.25, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Chapter 2, verse 8, if, however, you are fulfilling the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing Well, but if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law's transgressors. Well, then verse 12, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. What is James saying in chapter 4 when he says that if you are speaking against or slandering a brother or arrogantly judging your brother, you're speaking against the law? What does that mean? That means when we slander others, we are speaking against the law and we are condemning the law. Ouch. And if we are a judge of the law, Well, then we're not a doer of the law. That's what he says right here in verse 11. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of it, but you're a judge over it. And that's why James is alluding back to what he wrote earlier in chapter 1. Prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. If anybody is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. And when he looks at himself, he goes away and he immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. In chapter 4, James says we ought to be doers of the law, not judges over the law. David Put it like this in Psalm 119. 
when he said in verse 60, he said, I hastened and I did not delay to keep your commandments. That's what we want to be. We don't want to be judges over the law. We don't want to be critics of the law. We don't want to arrogantly judge the law. We want to hasten and not delay to obey and keep God's law. Well, what's a helpful way to put this off and put this on? Well, you're in James. Just turn one book to the right to 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter writes, verse 1, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy, and look at this at the end of 1 Peter 2, 1, all slander. Put, 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 put it all aside. Put it all off. Well, how, how do we do this? How do we not violate God's law? Well, right here in verse 1, Peter says we need to put off slander. Well, how do we do that? Look at verse 2. Like newborn babies, Peter says, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word. We love children around here, and there's a lot of them. Young babies love that milk. They want it. Christian, put off slander. What should you do? Verse 2, put on, put on the imbibing, the receiving, the longing for, the drinking of the milk of the word so that you may grow in respect to salvation. Verse 3, because you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. God has been so good to you. You know that God is kind. You know that God is good. Now, back to James 4. Why all of this? We want to be mastered by the law, not masters over the law. We we want to cherish the law, not condemn the law. Christian, when slander happens, number one, you hurt other people. Number two, we violate God's law by criticizing the law. But I have to give you a third reason. Why does James tell us here why slander is so harmful and sinful? Third, because when slander happens, you usurp God's role. That's what James says, verse 12 of James 4. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He's the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? What what does the Bible say? It says this, slander is sin. And the teaching is that when slander happens, it is the attempt to elevate self in trying to play God. Because when we slander, we are unnecessarily or inappropriately condemning another brother or sister by judging their motives, by judging someone's appearance. And when we judge, we might even have the wrong attitude for the wrong reason when we're slandering others as if we could play God and read their heart. And Pastor James is so brilliant in biblically counseling us. 
He says, when you slander, it's like you're arrogantly judging one of God's creatures. And you're trying to take the role that only God has. If we're going to go a little bit deeper, it takes the very likeness of Satan. Back in Isaiah chapter 14, when Satan fell out of heaven. Isaiah 14 tells us in verses 13 and 14 what happened. What happens when someone wants to be like God? What happens? What happens when you want to usurp God's role? Well, we see a very clear description in Isaiah 14, verses 13 and 14, with the five I wills of Satan. In the context of verse 12, how you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn, you have been cut down to the earth, you have weakened the nations. Verse 13, speaking of Satan, but you have said in your heart, here's the five I wills, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And number five, I will make myself like the most high. In, in heaven, what threw Satan down was he wanted to be like God. He wanted to usurp the role of God. That's what slander does. Back to James chapter 4, verse 12. James says there's only one lawgiver and there's only one judge. Why? What makes it so prideful? Why does it try to dethrone God? Why does slander try to remove God? Why does slander usurp the role of God? Here's why. Because the slanderer neglects to learn and gather the full information, all the facts. And he avoids speaking to the person one-on-one. He sets aside the law of love, and as a self-appointed judge, he hands down the verdict. There's only one lawgiver. There's only one judge. And it's not me. And it's not you. And James, if you look at James 4 verse 12, notice how James is going to prove his argument. There's only one lawgiver and there's only one judge and he's God who is able to save and to destroy. James is using language from Deuteronomy chapter 32. Verse 39. See now that I, I am he. There is no God besides me. I put to death and I give life. I wound and it is I who heal. There is no one who can deliver from my hand. Jesus also put it like this in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. Don't fear those who can kill the body, but they're unable to kill the soul. Rather, fear God who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. It's like James is saying there's only one lawgiver and there's only one judge, and he is the one who is able to save and to destroy. You can't do that. He does. By the way, 
He's able to save and to destroy. Fitting pause. Are you right with God? This one is able to destroy. I mean, this God will save you or he'll destroy you. Are are, are you here today sure that you're saved? Are you sure that you're reconciled to God? Are you confident that you're united to Christ? Are you confident that God has converted you? Are you confident that you have been born again? He is the judge. And James writes and clarifies, this judge is able to save and to destroy. Ensure, ensure that you're reconciled to God. Oh, he, he is the one who can save to the uttermost. He is the one who has mercy on sinners. He is the one who is mighty to save. We read in verse 12, back to James 4, there is only one lawgiver, there's only one judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. Who are we to slander others and arrogantly criticize and judge them as if we could know their heart? And as if we are the judge able to give the verdict? We're not. God is. And that's why James, in such a rhetorical and pastoral way at the end of verse 12, look at the final question. And you, James says, who do you think you are, is what the NIV has, who do you think you are to judge your neighbor? That's the tone of it. Who are you to judge your neighbor? Who do you think you are? He uses the word neighbor in verse 12. So that we would think of Leviticus 19, verse 18. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. Oh, slander is so dangerous. It is so Satan-like. It divides, it hurts, it destroys. Why? For three reasons. Because you hurt other people. Because you violate God's law. And because you usurp God's role. And if you're like me and you're hearing this, we say, ouch. God is a loving father who disciplines those whom he loves. I'm guilty of this. You're guilty of this. Well, what do you do? Preacher, what do I do? I mean, there's that situation you're thinking about right now. It's that person that you slandered this week. What do I do? Four simple thoughts. Number one, you need to confess it honestly to God. God sees it anyway. The kids learn that in catechism. God knows all things. Nothing can be hidden from God. So confess it honestly. Second, forsake it completely. And I say it that strongly because you have the Spirit of God within you. You can do it. You can do it. 
Confess it honestly, forsake it completely. Third, Christian, what we need to do, we need to protect others aggressively. We need to protect others aggressively. If somebody's going to slander, and we begin to hear these words come out, we've got to protect them? Let's stop on that right now. Let's not speak anymore on that. Protecting others. And then number four. This is really important. What you got to do when you're guilty, receive God's mercy happily. You have to. How do we overcome this? You you just told me that I, I need to forsake it completely. How do I overcome this? I think Philippians 4 is a great resource. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say again, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be made known to all men, and the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God. Philippians 4, verse 7, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, Paul says, I want you to dwell. I want you to think about such things. You think, I can't believe they did this, and you're tempted to slander them. Think on the things that are lovely. The things of Scripture, the things of truth, think on those things. But it's also a legitimate question to ask this. If you're guilty of slander, what do I do? We've just talked about that. Well, how do we overcome slander? Philippians 4 is a great place to go. But what if you're on the receiving end of slander? That hurts. What do you do? And everything in you wants to retaliate. You want to take revenge. You want to get even. You want to hurt them and harm them. We could go to so many psalms. So many. But I just want to talk for a brief moment about Psalm 109. Okay, Psalm 109. What do you do when you're slandered? Happens to me, it happens to you. Christian, it's going to happen a lot more common in the days in which we live. Get used to it. What do you do? Psalm 109 gives, I think, one of the simplest templates for how to respond to slander. Psalm 109. First, you got to tell God your trouble. I mean, just tell God your trouble. Don't respond to the person in anger. You go right to God in the throne of grace. Tell God your trouble. That's what David does in verses 1 through 5. Oh, God of my praise, don't be silent. So first, after you tell God your trouble, second, then you need to trust your God. You have to trust him. Because when you slander, we're not trusting God. We actually want to get even. So when you receive it from another person, you take it and you trust your God. That's what David does, verses 6 to 20. And then third, well, what do you do then? Everything in you is boiling. You're angry. You're livid. You want to respond. Here's number three. David does this. You have to refocus your perspective on God. 
not the slanderer, not yourself, God. And that's what David does in verses 21 to 29. Help me, O Lord my God. O Lord God, deal kindly with me. Your loving kindness is good. Deliver me. I am afflicted. I am needy. Refocus on God. And then you got to get this. This is so confusing to the world. So you got to get number four. What do you do when you receive slander? You have to thank God. That's Psalm 109, verses 30 and 31. With my mouth, I will give thanks abundantly to the Lord. And, don't miss this, in the midst of the congregation, I will praise my God. So there's something about being together with God's people, thanking God, worshiping God, trusting God, refocusing on God, telling God our troubles. So important. Okay, I've got to skip some notes here. Before we close and come to communion, the title of the sermon was this. Slander is Satan-like. And the reason I titled it that is because, Christian, you and I have a great accuser. You and I have a great slanderer. It is the Greek word diabolos, devil. He is the slanderer. And we see this lived out in Zechariah chapter 3. Joshua the high priest is before the throne, and here comes Satan to slander, to bring accusations against Joshua, the high priest. He's got filthy garments on. And God says, remove the filthy garments, a picture of our sin, and clothe him with festal robes as a picture of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's like the book of Job. Satan roaming. And he accuses Job. It's like Revelation 12.10. He's called the accuser of the brethren day and night. And just in case there's no confusion, Revelation 12.9 says he's the serpent of old. He is the devil. He is Satan. Revelation 20.10 tells us the devil deceived Sinners, and he will be thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, and they will be tormented forever and ever. Christian, you need to know you have a great accuser. You have a great slanderer. And Satan, the slanderer by nature, the accuser with hatred, this proud, God-hating, Christ-rejecting, Christian-slandering monster that he is, Christian, he hates you. He hates me. He hates us. And he loves speaking against you. But praise God, we have an advocate. 
When you are slandered, and you are, probably more than you even know or realize, by Satan in the spiritual realm, you have, Christian, a great high priest. And he's so perfect, and he's so divine, and he's so heavenly, and he is so sufficient, and he is so able, and he's so competent, and he's mighty. That's why in Matthew chapter 25, he tells the story of the, uh, of the wedding. And all of those who were there and gathered at the wedding are there clothed with a wedding garment on. Why? Because in that day, the host would give a wedding garment to those who would come to the wedding. There was one who didn't have the garment. He was thrown into outer darkness. But all the others had a God-given garment. That's what Jesus does. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 We are saved not by our own works derived by law keeping, but through faith in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.30 talks about Christ who is our righteousness our wisdom, our redemption, our sanctification. Turn with me quickly to Luke 22. The context of Luke chapter 22 is Jesus with the disciples on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke 22, verse 31, Jesus says, To Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. That's that's a very kind way to put it in the Greek. Satan wants to spit you up, chew you up, and absolutely vomit you out. He, he, He wants to utterly divide, destroy you completely. Verse 32, do you see the first few words? But I have prayed for you. Satan the accuser, Satan the slanderer, speaking against you, which he does all the time, and he wants to sift God's people, and he wants to destroy God's people, and he wants to make you useless, ineffective, But Jesus said, but I'm praying for you. I love the way Matt Boswell and Matt Papa put it in one of their hymns. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more stronger than darkness. New every morn. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. Well, we have a slanderer. We have a great advocate. But before we take the Lord's Supper, you need to hear what Romans 8 says. We have a great assurance as well. Romans 8 tells us in verse 33, who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who? Who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? I mean, who's going to condemn you? Who's going to bring a charge against you that's going to prevail? 
Verse 34, Christ Jesus is the one who died. Yes, rather, he was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. This is why John Newton read these words in Romans 8. And then he wrote this. Be thou my shield and my hiding place, sheltered beneath thy side. I know that I can face my accuser, and I can tell him that Christ has died. Oh, wondrous love, to bleed and to die, to bear the cross and shame, that guilty sinners such as I might plead thy gracious name. John Newton had it right on. Who in the world will bring a charge against God's elect? Christ died, and and he was raised, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he intercedes for us. Yes, you have an accuser. You have a slanderer. And praise God, we have an advocate And we have a great assurance as well. I want to close with just a couple of verses reading Matthew chapter 26. In Matthew chapter 26, it is the Lord Jesus on the cross. Matthew chapter 26, actually it's just before the cross. In Matthew 26, beginning in verse 57... Just a couple of verses here before we close and have the Lord's Supper. Matthew 26, 57, those who had seized Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were gathered together. But, but Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest, and he entered in and sat down with the officers to see the outcome. Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain, here it is, false testimony against Jesus. There it is. They're slandering. They're speaking against Jesus. So that they might put him to death. But they did not find any, verse 60. They didn't find any. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they couldn't find any. They slandered, they falsely accused, they condemned him, they spoke against him, but he remained silent, verse 63. He remained silent, perfect, righteous, the Lamb of God, spotless for you, for you. Jesus bore the slanders for you. His righteousness is credited to you. Jesus took the slander so that you could be forgiven and have his obedience. What a motivation for you and me to hate slander and to turn from it and to seek to walk in holiness. Amen. Father, thank you for the hard, convicting, and yet necessary truth that you have given to us in the Word of God. We need it.